Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. All right, we got more Trista Q Chronicles for you today. So to catch you up, they're on Earth, planning a big heist, going to steal a prototype, and uh, we'll just get right back to it. Sid and his bird-like companion walk through the streets of Seattle. He hated Cal when he first met her in prison. She disrupted his group and replaced one of his friends, but after breaking him free and following her on missions, he grew to respect her. While he did not have the same paranoia that seemed to infect Sealar, he did notice that something was different about the captain. Though now that he was in too deep, he pushed his thoughts to the back of his mind. Seattle was about a 15-minute ride by Hyperloop from their base of operations in Albuquerque. Most Earthlings called it the Tube. The crust of the Earth was interconnected with a vast Hyperloop network that transported millions of people to every possible location. Each tube had a rider that were either single, double, group, or public mass transit. They reminded Sid of a bank vacuum tube he'd seen when he posed as a tourist in a museum so he could scan the government building next door for signs of a secret hangar. They mostly took the public tubes, which parked rider after rider with commuter traffic. Hyperloops were a very old technology, but the infrastructure was already there and it used virtually no power to operate. 
The riders themselves use more power to keep the interiors illuminated during travel than they did to propel the occupants forward. It could also get a traveler halfway around the globe in roughly four hours, so the technology stuck. Humans had uh, attempted to travel faster by perfecting technology that constructed a living entity then reconstructed it, atom by atom, to a remote location. Hayden called it beaming. However, the technology never seemed to work quite properly. The creatures sent through always seemed to be missing part of themselves. They would change in personality after the transfer, and the scientists were always stumped as to why. Even the volunteers of the sentient intelligence level were not the same after instantaneous transfer through a quantumly entangled network. Sid always wondered how many of them were volunteers, considering his only encounter with a Turisticu scientist was Dr. Fesslerk. Even when they reversed the process and sent a person back, they would undergo personality changes. The personality changes were widely varied. One psychopath was put through felt guilt for his past. Another became a deadlier. One family man forgot his family and ceased to love them. It was hard to predict how they would change on the other side. Religious groups used the failed experiments as proof of the soul. They would claim the soul left when the original body was deconstructed. Scientists proclaimed that it was just something they hadn't figured out yet, like a copying error or maybe an interruption in a still unknown chemical process in the brain that instigated the changes. Others said that they were switching places with other versions of themselves from alternate universes. Whether or not a personality change had a natural or more supernatural explanation, the tubes were the preferred transportation system. It was considered a waste of resources to fund instantaneous travel research, and it became a fringe science. Since information could be transmitted across the galaxy in a blink of an eye, the demand for physical transportation became far less than demand for information exchange. Most business leaders had replicas of themselves constructed with robotics in their most frequented offices. They would control the replicas remotely when they needed to be in a particular location, but didn't want to travel there. It was a solution mainly designed to reduce interplanetary travel. However, some reclusive technology moguls were almost never seen in public, and they would control robotic versions of themselves from a private immersive arcade rig on a private island. Transportation was common for people, and the ones who couldn't afford to maintain versions of themselves across the galaxy. Sid and his bird-like friend with the shimmering metallic feathers, stopped in front of a large gray building called The Vault. It was a private warehouse with a row after row of storage units that claimed to have the best security in the universe. It was the type of private company that only the ultra-rich could afford. However, there were smaller options that common people might be able to get, like a ring-sized box for a family heirloom or two. Sid flipped a switch on his device coat pocket. It was a network scanner maker designed to connect the chip in his head. The idea behind the device was that if anyone was close to the prototype, they could hone in the device to the fixed location. Using the fixed point, the pair could triangulate the source and a rough location could be ascertained. The crew divided into pairs and spent most of the day walking 
or getting near buildings that could potentially house the prototype. Some crew ma makers like Maker and Hathnall stayed in Albuquerque and scoured the galactic network to narrow down building choices. They knew that it was a building located in a city on Earth, but they didn't know which one. Hayden had discovered a snapshot of its entering the hangar. While the flight test data always seemed to end when it got close enough to Earth, one of the test pilots carelessly took a picture of a city underneath it while it was landing and stored it in a shared drive. Hayden found the photograph when he was searching through the test crew's photos of each other's for clues. Most of the photos were mostly of people at work or off-duty. They didn't help much with the situation. Since transportation on Earth was so quick, an off-duty person could travel just about anywhere for dinner. The photos revealed that most of the test pilots frequented restaurants in North America, so they could narrow their search to at least one continent. They figured the people would most likely frequent cities closer to their point of origin. After narrowing down the search to different cities, Maker and Hathno scoured over the satellite maps for matches of the photo of the prototype landing. The problem was the, with the photo was that it was a blurry picture of a building with a hangar door on the roof. Most buildings in major cities had hangars for ships and delivery drones on the roof since aerial delivery was still the preferred method for objects that couldn't be replicated like original paintings. A Rembrandt could be duplicated down to the last molecule, but there will always be people who said it wasn't the same because the duplicate had no history, it was not passed down through time. Even on the more mundane level, there was people who refused to eat food that wasn't growing on a plant or slaughtered in a slaughterhouse. Sometimes it was cheaper to produce and ship than waste a replicator su supply for objects like that. Whether it was for religious reasons, practicality, or snobbery, the transportation of physical goods was not replaced by the quantum age of replication and instant information. While a careless snapshot did not reveal the location of the prototype because of the hangar, it did reveal one important clue. The landing photo revealed that it wasn't a military installation. The building and military installations didn't have hangars. In fact, there were practically no military installations on the entire planet. Almost all the touristic basic training happened on the moon, in orbit, and other planets in the Empire, according to Hayden. When the nations of Earth dissolved and fussed into the united planets of Earth, most of the planet's military might was being controlled by a couple of nations. The people at the time were nervous about handing their military over to the new single Earth government, so to save the UPE from failing because of politics and fear, they drafted a proposal to move all military power off-world. Rather than have the majority of destructive power of humanity lurk in a few locations on the planet, it would loom over the world as military might was transferred into orbit. Since most wars were fought on far-off planets anyway, not having a noticeable military presence on Earth seemed to ease tensions. Since nationality was more of a polite dinner conversation, the idea of having too much military power in one geographical location didn't seem scary like it did for the early UPE people. However, the early policy of keeping military off-world stuck. The only military operations left on Earth were administrative buildings. They didn't need hangars because they, didn't, they dealt with people rather than equipment. The only other interstellar forces buildings besides administrative ones were hospitals for veterans and all those marked with an H on top. Since they knew the prototype was on Earth, 
in interstellar forces structure, the only option left was the private sector. Half No and Maker began to search what companies could have the resources to make a prototype. It began to match them with the tops of their buildings because there was plenty of potential matches. The rest of the crew spent their days wandering city after city, hoping the scanner in their pockets would register an increase in signal strength. Right now, they connected to the ship through the equivalent of a digital window. When in range of the secure private connection, they would be at the controls rather than looking through a window. The device in Sid's pocket was designed to look for when that proximity connection occurred. Sid pretended to be shopping for storage bases so that they could scan the interior. As soon as Sid stepped inside the waiting room of the vault, there was a message that appeared in his field of vision from his implant. It said, Secure Connection Established. The menu that they had grown used to as the ship's interface changed a little. It had more options than before. Furthermore, the device in his pocket detected a signal. They were no longer connected to the ship via the galactic network. They were connected directly. The ship was somewhere in this building. Sid and his bird-like friend turned to look at each other. A clerk smiled to approach them. They both nodded and turned without a word to the clerk. The plan to triangulate the exact location went out the window with the excitement of their discovery. They were anxious to report back to Cal as months of searching would finally be coming to an end. They had found the ship. All right, that's it. I know it's a short one, but uh, yeah, tune back in for more uh, Touristic U Chronicles. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, have a good night.